If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is brought to you by Mountain Tough and Yeti. A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. It's no secret Yeti has some of the best and most durable gear out there. But when it came to hydration, they previously didn't have a great backcountry solution. Well, that all changed with their new Yonder water bottle. My Yonder covered the backcountry all across the West last season while chasing mule deer, elk, caribou, and more. It's about 50% lighter than their insulated Rambler, but still has that Yeti toughness. The best part is they've now got them in four different sizes, so you can pack the bottle perfectly fit for your hunt. To top it off, there's also great options for customization. You can check them out now at yeti.com. Well, everyone, welcome back to Live Wild Podcast. This week, we're going to be deep diving into hunt planning. We're going to go on the hunt for tags. And this application season, I'm going to try to equip you with my strategy. I like to call it gaming the draw. This is where you can start to build out your hunt plan for right now, as well as down the line. Now, if you're not familiar with Western big game hunting, one of the things that's just as important as those hunt tactics itself is a strategy around obtaining a tag to hunt. There are entire companies built around the process of helping hunters wade through the complicated systems to put a tag in your hand. So this week, I'm going to break down a system for obtaining tags, look at the tools for finding a hunt, and cover ways to increase your chance of getting on a hunt this year and every year so you don't have to sit a season out. But before we do that, I want to share the story of my draws last season and a little behind the curtain look at a few of my strategies. This time of year is in an odd way, in some ways, I guess, like one of the most exciting parts of Western big game hunting because it's that hunt planning phase, that application season. There's a little bit of unknown and then there's a little bit of kind of like seeing certain plans come to fruition. There's hunts that you're applying for, points that you're building and you go, okay, now I get a cash in on this. And I I lay out all the states and I look at what I've got in front of me. I build out my hunt plan. I go, okay, this is something that I'd really like to do this year. This is a state that I haven't hunted. Time to cash in. Oh, this area had a a mild winter combined with like a really wet spring. I think this particular place is going to be good. Let's, Let's try this spot. So there's a lot that goes into that process. And I think one of the ways that I like to think about it is the the system that I've built and 
And I've been playing this game for a very long time. So, you know, my strategy might be different than most. Now, I will also say that, you know, over the years through doing solo hunter, through doing all this stuff, just trying to go on as many hunts as I, as I can in the time allotted, it required me to get creative and, and find ways to get tags. And because of that, for a long time, I played the over the counter type game and the easy to draw tags because it was a, a way to kind of guarantee that I could get on a hunt. A lot or the majority of my hunts that I go on are through some kind of draw, but a lot, you know, in the past, a lot of them were hunts that were easy to draw, more general areas, just kind of going quantity over maybe perceived quality. And then it's like, if I have a tag in my hand, I can make the hunt happen. And then there's those occasional hunts where, oh, hey, I got lucky and drew this tag in, in this area or whatever. Some of this, or I would say the majority of hunts that I go on every year are places where maybe I had no points or maybe places where there wasn't a point system. And then there's other states where I'm just essentially hoarding points. Like I'm just growing the the portfolio of points for maybe a rainy day down the road or time to cash in and, and have that real quality hunt in a certain place that I've been thinking about for a long time. So when I look at my past season, you know, I had a really good, like I said, I had a really good season on paper and I had some really awesome tags in my hand. And so I think, you know, when I look back, I go, okay, a lot of the, when the majority of the hunts that I took last year, really only one of them I had, I would say like a decent amount of points. The rest were pretty much zero points. And then I, I used a couple of different application strategies to help secure a tag. So one of the first hunts I went on last season was a a draw tag in Alaska for doll sheep. Now I drew that tag. I, I applied through an outfitter friend of mine, Jeremy Rusink of Rogue Expeditions. And you know, as a non-resident, you have to go with a guide. And I've worked with Jeremy for a long time. So I was fortunate to be able to do that. However, like Alaska, I, I've applied in Alaska for a lot of different things, whether it's that, you know, that hunt particularly has to be guided, but I've also applied for a lot of unguided hunts. The thing about Alaska is, right, like there's so many over-the-counter opportunities still for certain species. And then there's a few draws. And I like to put in for those draws because I kind of felt like it was an underserved hunt if I was going to go on a hunt. I, it just kind of like pushed me in the direction of being, okay, now you're gonna, you've got the tag, time to go, right? It was almost like a lit the fire underneath you. And it's like, okay, now I've got a, a place to focus on. In the past, I've drawn sheep tag, moose tag. I've drawn a mountain goat tag. I've drawn caribou tag. What else? And, uh, and a limited entry bear tag. So I've drawn a lot of great tags. And in that state, there are no point system. So everybody's kind of on an equal playing field, but you can buy within each category. You can apply a certain amount of time. So one of the things that I did every time I apply in Alaska is if I'm going to apply for a certain species, I do the maximum amount of choices in that same unit. So it gives me the best chance of, of drawing and I've found success that way. And, you know, my family's done the same and, and I think that like, that's just been a, a good way to go. You can split your choices up between different units if you'd like, but I just always feel if I, if there's an area that I want, I put all my chances in that one unit. So it gives me a, a greater chance of drawing that particular unit uh, than others, you know, and also I would kind of find ones that are maybe not as hard to draw as others, but you know, I had a lot of success doing that. So this year I, I applied and I, and I pulled a sheep tag, really just purely luck, to be honest. Anytime you draw a sheep tag, there's a, a, a good element of luck involved. But that one, no points. Essentially, everybody's on the same playing field. You did have to apply through an outfitter. So 
that kind of, you know, obviously there's a limited pool, but I would say that the draw odds are not great. But I, I was able to obtain that tag. The next tag, uh, kind of hunt of the season, was a Nevada mule deer tag. And I actually had no points because I'd drawn the previous year. So I went in with zero points. But one of my brothers, Ryan, had been saving his points for a while. And I said, hey, let's apply as a party together. Now, my other brother, Jason, had no points, but my dad also had points. So the four of us kind of devised a strategy of we probably should have all four applied together, but we I think it would have balanced out to about the same, and some of the areas didn't have that many tags. So our, our plan was this. We're going to apply in two separate parties as our first choice because we looked. I looked at it and go, okay, every individual party, you're, you're put in as a party, you're put in as one draw, with a certain amount of points, then if that party is drawn, both people are awarded tags so long as there's enough tags for that party. So with four people in an area that might have five tags, the odds of getting that are, are very low, but maybe with two, it's not as bad. So the first choice I we both put, but we separated ourselves out two parties. So we each kind of all had the same amount of points. I think we went into the draw with like two points, which is better than zero. We applied as two separate parties and then our first choice was like, go for broke. Best unit in the state, hardest to draw, might as well. Our second choice was our preferred unit, which was not easy to draw, not impossible, but a good chance of drawing. Then our third choice was kind of like in descending order, easier to draw than the one before it. So better odds as we go down the list. And then our last two choices were kind of in that same order. Our last choice was guaranteed tag like an area that we know for sure will draw and so the thought was this is okay it, it increases our chance of drawing we might not we might draw like if somebody drew that best unit great congratulations those two get a hunt in one spot the other two will hopefully draw somewhere well you know with that last choice as being kind of guaranteed then you're almost guaranteed to hunt somewhere but with the way that the odds would work out there was a good chance that we might draw the same unit and it worked. It worked. We both both parties drew the same unit, and all four of us got to hunt together. It wasn't our first choice, but it was a area that we thought realistically that our odds are about seventy percent with our two points that we would draw this unit for archery. And then we also had some backups down the line. And then the other thought was if we drew separate units and it wasn't a great unit, or maybe somebody drew something else in another state, we could always, as a party, return our tags if somebody couldn't go, and then apply again next year so the way that works though in that state is if you turn in your tag everybody in the party has to so by se separating ourselves out into two parties we just increased our chance that one of the groups would draw and potentially both of us would all of us would draw the same unit statistically and it worked out we had a great hunt together and, and that was kind of the philosophy behind that i had a elk and deer combo tag in montana and the same thing i had no points the odds of applying with no points in Montana are actually better than applying. Like it's 0% chance you'll draw with one point. I think it was, it was a 75 or 80% chance of drawing with no points, which is wild. And then there's, and then I think with like two points, it was closer to that same 80% and over two points was like a hundred percent. I'm just kind of rattling these off, off the top of my head, but they just a kind of a, a, a the gist of it. But, you know, I, I thought about applying with no points, but if I didn't draw them, the next year you're on the same like 
I've applied for places with no points and been on that losing side for a very long time. New Mexico's one where it's like 70% draws and I was on the wrong side of the 70% for five years in a row, right? Like you just, sometimes you're just the unlucky one. So I actually applied, my wife had been the unlucky one in Montana for quite a while. So she had the maximum amount of points and we applied as a party for points, uh, as a party. So we split the points and we essentially guaranteed ourselves or put ourselves in that like 90% draw category. And so we both drew tags together, which is nice sometimes to go into a state and and know that you're hunting with someone else, right? Because for us, it's different in Montana because we guide and work there, but you know, we, we still travel there and, and we're hunting together. So it was nice to both have that tag together, but it's also a strategy that I've used in other states as well. Sometimes I'm the guy with the most points. Other times I'm the guy with the least amount of points, but we're going in as a party and kind of increasing our chances as a as team. Now, some people mistake, and we could talk about this later too, points like as a party, you're like, oh, I'm in there more times because there's two people. That's not the case. You're actually in there as one party with, um, an average of the points in some instances, in other instances, an exact amount of points. So it's like if it's a preference point, you go, say, let's say there's uh, five points between two people in a preference point state, you would go in with two and a half points, your party would. And then, like I said before, you know, if there's two people and there's only one tag left, then you guys don't draw. But if there's two people and there's, you know, two tags left, then you draw. And that two and a half is like the exact in bonus point states. Sometimes that's rounded up. So if you average two and a half, you'll go in with three as a party. So just a little bit of a strategy there. And then my desert sheep tag was, I, I think, like the pinnacle of the the tags that I drew this year. That's kind of one of those, like, no matter when you draw that, you, you feel very fortunate and very lucky. But I also had the strategy of I really wanted to draw and I wanted to draw sooner rather than later. I did a lot of research on the draw odds, my particular draw odds on go hunt with the points that I had, I, I kind of just every day, just looking at draw odds and, and calculating things. And, and I chose to apply for areas with the best potential odds. And that involved an archery season and then some other units that were probably subpar for trophy quality, but also better odds of receiving a tag. And that was my application strategy I had a really good feeling going into this app, that application that I was going to draw. I, I kind of feel like I, I sometimes sense those, those good draws. And, and sometimes, you know, you still have to be on the right side of statistics. It's like, I know I've applied for hunts where I have 22 points and a friend of mine applies with one point and they're the one that draws, right? Like sometimes you just get real lucky, but other times you just have this inclination that like, I feel like I'm at the right point level where I've been applying long enough and I'm kind of undercutting my points in a way where people with this amount of points that I had are probably applying for premier units only. I think I might've done like first choices, just go for the swing for the fences. And then the other four is like best chances of drawing. And so by doing that, I secured a tag and I, and I actually felt like ahead of the time I was thinking, you know, pretty soon I I might draw this tag. Like I'm, I'm going to be on that lucky side but also I tried to put statistics in my favor. And so, you know, by doing those things, I was able to build out a pretty good season. Now, of course, you know, having, knowing people that want to apply with you and, and do that, that worked really well for me. And then also just like looking at the, the stats and the draws and, and building my strategy off of, hey, it's more important to me to draw a tag than to wait forever and not draw a tag. Like I, I 
valued drawing a tag over trophy quality. I valued drawing a tag and, and having the opportunity over uh, potential harvest rates. Like I, I wanted it to, you know, as far as a desert sheep hunt goes, like I really wanted to draw the tag. And so I built my hunt strategy based on that. And because of that, you know, I built out, or I, I ended up with a really good season. Then I also ended up with an over-the-counter deer tag that was in a state that just opens up the tags to first come, first serve. That one, I actually, uh, you know, essentially bought the tag in the state waiting in line when that those tags opened. And by doing that, I was able to secure a tag. There's some, a lot of the tags that I wanted were actually sold out before I could purchase, but that's the way it goes, you know, and, and I ended up with a, a deer tag that I was able to hunt as well. So, and then I, and I did also obtain one more tag as a, like a, a returned tag. So there was one state that has over the counter licenses. One of those tags got returned and then they just opened it up first come first serve at a certain date. You know, I was on the computer. I got assigned a great number. Essentially it's a draw and then picked up that tag. And so because of that, you know, I had a really good, a lot of opportunity to hunt this fall. And, and for most people, you know, you're just looking for that one hunt. Maybe you're a guy that's like, hey, I'm going on my first Western big game hunt, but I don't have any points. I'm just getting started. Is it possible? Yeah, it's absolutely possible. There's just certain things that you got to consider and certain things that you need to know and a lot of things that you need to plan for. So if you're a guy that's like, hey, I want to go on an elk hunt, but this year's not the year. I want to go in like a couple years, you know, save up a little bit. Maybe me and a couple buddies want to go. It doesn't matter when you want to go. Now's the time to start planning and thinking about the hunt. And we're going to jump into some of the my thought process and what I like to call gaming the application, right? It's like, it's a game. You got to play the game and you have to know the rules of the game and ways that you can kind of match your specific goals to where you stand and knowing all the systems. So we're going to jump into that right now. If I were to break down the application system, right? There's just like, we could, I could make this entire podcast about breaking down every state and like philosophies behind every state. And there's so much research that you can do. And I think that the research portion is very important, but I think step one, when we're talking about application strategy is you really have to build an application strategy based on your specifics. So I think of step one, I go, what are your goals? Where do you stand in the game, right? What's your, and by that, I mean like, how long have you been playing? What's your point level in different places? What, what's your knowledge of these different states? Like, where do you stand in this game? And then knowing each state system. And those are the three most important things. Now, when we talk about knowing your goals, you have to say like, what do I want? Do I want to go on an elk hunt? And if you do, right, to go on any hunt out West, you have to have a tag. That's just the way the system works. There's oftentimes more hunters than tags available. And so there's an allocation system for these tags. So you say, well, you could be a guy that says like, look, you need a tag and you want to go hunting, but you also are like, man, I really want to go on a higher quality hunt. Can I have both? And when we look at the tag system, there's, there's a couple different types of tags. So there's tags that are more available, easier to obtain. Those often involve higher hunter numbers, higher hunter densities, lower quality animals, and oftentimes more difficult hunt. Then as the tags get harder to draw, you can kind of get into higher hunt quality, higher quality or size of animal. 
and they're kind of in a direct correlation, but not always, right? There are hunts where this tag is easier to draw and has a great high-end quality potential, great hunting experience based off of other factors like wilderness or, you know, maybe just like a hot, hard hunt or a lot of private that you either have to have access on or hike around. There's just like a lot of factors in there. So the answer is yes, you can have both. You can have a tag that's easy to obtain and a higher quality hunt. But in general, we have to say like, what's my goal? Do I want to go on an elk hunt and have the opportunity to go hunting? Or do I just like only want to chase a certain type and quality of bull? And that's what I'm looking for. And so once we start to understand those things, then we can start to understand uh, what are we looking for during this application process? And obviously there are exceptions to everything. There are a lot of hunts where I've been on some over-the-counter hunts where I've had the best opportunity at, I would say like, 330 to 350 bulls. And I've been on very hard to draw areas and not even seen that quality of bull that maybe I was chasing the year prior on a hunt that I picked up over the counter by walking into a, a sporting goods store and, and purchasing that on the day they released tags. I've, I've also had tags where, you know, hey, we picked it up in a second draw for like deer, maybe a coos deer hunt in a second draw where we had a phenomenal hunt. And then I burned eight or nine points and, and didn't have the same quality hunt, or I, I picked up an over-the-counter archery tag where I had a better hunt than any of the draw hunts that I'd ever had. So there is a lot of research involved in figuring that out. But the first thing that I do is I think about, okay, what are my goals for this season? And so for me personally, I've been playing this game for a long time. So I have a couple, and I'm just going to go over my strategy, right? I think it's very important to get on hunts, get out in the field and go hunting. I actually put that higher than maybe the quality of hunt, because I feel like if I have a tag in my pocket, there's a chance. I'm out in the field, I'm hunting, I, I have the opportunity to be successful. And sometimes you have the opportunity to be successful on something, you know, better than you're expecting. I also have a few places where it's like, hey, it'd be awesome to get on a high quality hunt where I've got a great tag and there's a, a good potential for a giant buck or a giant bull and maybe no other hunters. Like I said, though, I've had that, I had a tag like that this year and I could have killed a bigger buck in a general unit in another, in an over-the-counter hunt. I actually saw better deer on hunts like that because you just don't know sometimes, right? It doesn't, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to have that hunt that you're dreaming of. So in my opinion, I think it's better to hunt more often and sooner. And, and then, you know, so my strategy is kind of three-prong. Like I, I look for those places where, I have potential for no points where I can go hunting every year. I build for just like this dream hunt in the future. And when I get that tag, maybe it'll live up to expectations or the hype. Maybe it won't. I don't know. I'm just, you know, building for it because I'm spending my time on these other hunts where I can get in a lot easier. And then there's places where maybe I, I didn't really commit to the whole point process and I've got a moderate amount of points and my strategy might be different in those states. Now for me, it might be different than for you, right? So you might be like, hey, I just want to get out west for the first time. I want to hunt a mule deer. Okay, so what are we going to look at? We're going to look at the places where it's the easiest to obtain a tag, but have high high chance of success. You're like, hey, I might only do this once or I, I might do it every five years. Then you're going to want to look for a place that's easy to obtain or, hey, I can plan out in a certain amount of time. And then I can also, you know, have a good chance of success. And we're going to look at those other things. So I think the next thing is saying like, okay, what do you want to do? What do you, what do you want to do now? What do you want to do down the road? And that's going to be like, write those things down and we're going to build a roadmap to match our strategy 
to these goals. And the goals change. Uh, when I first started applying in the state of Utah as a non-resident, and, the, and what I'm talking about for this, a lot of this is non-resident out-of-state tags. Growing up in the state of Nevada, it was a draw system for everything. And if you wanted to hunt big game every year, you had to go out of state. That was just how it worked. Like for me drawing it, like I saw my dad and uncles and I was like, they drew deer tags very rarely. And then they, in Nevada, when I was a kid, they started this um, youth tag thing where it was actually, I mean, that was like probably one of the best systems I think that they've ever done in the state of Nevada is the junior tags. Because as a adult, like it's hard to get tags, but think about being a kid and not being able to draw a tag till you're 20 years old. It's just not a good way to get into hunting, right? A lot of small game hunting up until you finally draw a tag. So they did this junior tag thing where essentially from the time you're 12 to, I can't remember, is it 16 or 18? I can't remember the age range, but maybe 16 or something like that, 18. You could pretty much get a deer tag every year and maybe not in the best place, but you had good opportunity. And then the season was longer. So you could hunt archery, muzzleloader, rifle, incredible system. But once that was done for me, it was like, if I want to hunt somewhere, I'm going to have to start looking at other places where I could get tags. And at that time, there was over-the-counter tags in a lot of different places, and it wasn't really talked about. And then I started applying in places that also had limited entry tags, thinking, cool, I can maybe draw a really good bull tag in Utah now. And so I worked to apply, really. I just like save up my money and do the application thing. And so started applying in Utah when I was like 16, I think. And on that, I was like, I just wanted to draw like a tag where I could maybe shoot like a 300 to 320 inch bull. Like I didn't really care. So I just started applying for like the easiest to draw units. And I had no points and I was applying for those. And I ended up not drawing, which is, wasn't a surprise. Like it's hard to draw. Then you can only apply for two species. So I applied for that and then bison. And then it opened up for Rocky Mountain bighorns. And so I switched from I think bison to bighorns and then and then they opened it up to non-residents could apply for everything so i started building points and and at the start i was just like hungry to, i just wanted to tag you know i was like come on i just want to hunt elk i don't want like a decent bull i don't really care as i started getting more points i said oh well all right i'm, I'm finding these over-the-counter opportunities i wasn't as thirsty to chase elk and i'm like man there's probably a, a very limited chance to shoot giant bull like at the time my goal was like a i don't know even not even like a outlandish goal i want a 350 bull with my bow i'm like all right i'm gonna only apply for places where i could have a really good chance of a 350 plus bull with my bow and then as i started getting more points i'm like all right i might as well just go for broke and only apply for the best units in the state because i've got all these other hunts that i'm finding and over-the-counter things and and start racking up points now i don't even know how many points i have i think 22 or something like that 23 points for elk in utah and you go okay now it's like well i've invested that much i might as well just keep going for the best tag possible or maybe one day i'll just say damn it i want to go on an elk hunt in utah it seems like a good year for it let's cash in and and that's and and i can do that but you know knowing where i stand knowing where you stand and the kind of points that you have depends a lot on your strategy. So we're going to say, I'm going to break it down into three point categories. And we're going to be talking about no points, moderate points, which is kind of like a mid-level. So no points is absolutely no points. You're just starting out. Moderate points, we're going to say anywhere three to 10, and then lots of points we're going to call 
10 to 20 and then a really lot of points we can even and then a real lot of points we're going to call over 20 and so generally speaking you know if we're talking about points there's a couple different types of points in every state so there's preference points and bonus points and then all almost every state has some kind of combination of the two sometimes certain species have one point thing and other species have another that's where knowing each state's system is going to come in a little bit later but generally speaking, a preference point, what that means is the people with the most points are awarded the tags. Now, there's often most states now are a modified preference where there is some kind of random draw and then there's a certain portion allocated to the people with the most points. Bonus points, anybody can draw, but you're awarded a little bit better chance for the more points you have. So some states, it's just like one-to-one. -one. If you got 10 points, you get 10 entries. Other states with bonus points is like, the number squared. So in Nevada and Montana, if you've got 10 points, it's squared. So you go 100 plus that year's entry is one. So you have 101 names in the hat, whereas the person with one point has one name in the hat. So each year your, your odds exponentially increase, which I do like that system. And then there's others where it's a combination of, it's a preference point draw. So it's like Montana is the weirdest, but it's a preference point draw for the general tag and then a bonus point draw for any limited entry permit for elk and deer. It's, it's just the worst system, right? It's just very confusing. But that's kind of generally speaking what we're talking about when it comes to points. So now I'm going to break those three categories out. No points, moderate points, and lots of points. And we're going to use some particular strategies in my system that I like to call gaming the draw like it's it's a game you got to play the game every state has its own rules and things but there are things that you can think of in the application strategy as a whole that help you increase hitting those goals right and it, for most people i think the goal is getting a tag i think that having a tag in your hand as we go further and further forward we could talk all day on like whether i mean over-the-counter hunts are essentially gone unfortunately there are a few there are a few there's a few left out there. Um, I'll let you guys do the research and figure out where they are. <laughs> I guess if I say it, it's like, they won't be there anymore. But you know, there's a few things that you can do when you're thinking about your application strategy, the, the points that you have, and like you got to play the game. And that game is a planning game. And so I'm going to break it down into the no points, moderate points, and high points. And what I mean by this too is like, let's say you're just starting out. You're like, I've never applied anywhere. Well, you're obviously in the no point category. Maybe you've been applying for a few years. Well, you might be in that moderate point category, but you can also play the no point game. So whatever level you're at, as you go up, each one of these levels is going to be important. So as a guy myself, in some states, I have a real lot of points. And then other states, I have a moderate level. And then a lot of hunts, I have no points. Or I might say, Hey, I'm looking, I've got a lot of points. So I'm going to find the no point hunt that doesn't affect my points to go on a hunt. And then I can play a different game with those really high points or use those high points to play a, a moderate point game. So we're breaking it into three categories. And then wherever you sit, you can, you have different options to kind of play the game. And then as you start, if you're like, I'm sitting with nothing, well, you can start to think about these strategies as you hit these different point levels. And I think it's a really good way to kind of understand the system and, and start pulling tags because the majority of my tags and hunts that I go on every year are in this 
no point category. And, and that's just the truth of it. Now, that's statistically over the years, and there was a lot over the counter stuff that's gone now, but there still are those opportunities. So, in this no point category, we're going to dive in and look at any form of over the counter tag. This is a tag where you can pick it up. Now, they might be limited. That doesn't mean they're unlimited, but you don't have to necessarily go through a draw and wait process. There's no advantage for one person over the other. Sometimes there is like a online system where it's like at midnight tonight, those tags go on sale and you got to be online. So you got to do the thing and then you're assigned a number in a waiting line. Okay, it's kind of a draw, right? But you can pick it up. Or maybe that same thing, you, you could go and buy it from a fishing game office within that state. So it goes on, you kind of skip the line, but you got to go to that state and buy it. Or same thing with leftover tags, like a tag comes left over, like, okay, this was underserved by residents, now it's opened up to everyone. It's on a first come, first serve, and they go on sale at noon at the main field office in whatever state. So there's a time and a date associated with it, but there's no necessarily like point restrictions or waiting on a draw. You know, kind of everybody's on an equal footing. And then there might be even ways that you can figure out to obtain the tag easier. So if it's like, hey, it's in high demand, but if I go to this location, I can get it. Or if I, you know, there's a return tag, I can pick it up at this date and time or go online multiple times to try to access leftover tags. So any form of over-the-counter pickup tag, those are no points. And that's a great, you know, there still are a few states where the tags are maybe numbered, but like they're underserved. So you could go almost right before you hunt and pick up a tag. And then there's ones that like, you got to be there the day that they arrive or the day that they go on sale. The second they go on sale, you need to be online and they're going to sell out in 15 minutes or less. And so understanding those over-the-counter tags is going to be probably... I would say step one in in the no points game because it's your best chance. It really is your best opportunity. Now, there still are, like I said, some OTC leftover tag, like tags that are available that you can pick up over the counter if you're just like, hey, I want to go hunting. There's a couple states that have, there's I think one state that has over-the-counter mule deer tags that are truly over-the-counter, that being California for the most part. And then, you know, Arizona has their over-the-counter archery tags, but those, like I say, go on sale at a certain time. Idaho has their over-the-counter tags, but those go on sale at a certain time. And they sell out very fast. So it's almost like a draw system that is kind of inconvenient, but those are still available. Now, another no points game. We talked, I, I've talked about Go Hunt Insider a lot on this podcast because it's what I use to help filter through a lot of this state stuff and find the hunts that I go on. One of the things that I do in their draw odds, so they've got the insider has a couple different options. So they've got draw odds, they've got their filtering 2.0, and the filtering essentially allows you to select certain parameters. And one thing that's really cool, so this just came out this week, Go Hunt now on their app, you can go in their app and access all these filtering processes right there in the app as opposed to just going on their website, which I think is huge because as I talked about last week, I am a massive tinkerer when it comes to looking at draws, finding hunts. I do a lot of research and I put a lot of time into it. And this is somebody, this is, I know the system. I know a lot of places. I've talked to a lot of people and I still just think and dream and build and and look for certain things that maybe somebody else isn't seeing. And you'd think with like everybody having this tool, 
we'd all come to the same conclusion, but it's not the case. Like you can change the filters to look for something specific for you. One of the things that I do a lot is I go on filtering and I essentially look for 100% draw odds or go into draw odds and look for something that's like 100%, 80%. I mess with that draw odds number, say something that's like, where is a good place that I have a better than average chance of drawing? And sometimes that just highlights a, a place for me and that's for no points. Now, the next thing that I would look at in that no points category states with a random draw. When you think about random draws, sometimes you're on the unlucky side, sometimes you're on the lucky side, but everybody going in has the same exact opportunity. It doesn't matter if you've been doing it for 20 years or one year. Now, the thought behind that is the guy that's been doing it for 20 years, over that 20 years, hopefully he would be lucky. Like I said, in New Mexico, for the most part, I was always on that unlucky side. But in another state, you know, Alaska, I was on the lucky side. So, you know, I think if you play the game long enough, I actually do really like the random draw. When you've been doing it for 24 years, though, you're like, damn it, I wish there was some benefit to me who's been on it forever and a guy that just started this year is in the same footing as I am. But when you really think about it, he's not because you were applying a lot longer. You were probably applying when the odds were better and you just were unlucky and maybe your number will get called one day. But states with random draws can be a really good thing to look at with no points. Or, you know, using a strategy of I've got points in other states, but hey, I'm going to apply for these no point states, these random draw states every year too, because that could be my like, that's my lucky name in the hat. And maybe it's a little unexpected, but there's as good a chance as any by applying for those. And I like to kind of break my strategy into thinking about obtaining a tag and then also, you know, planning for the future. And one of the things that I look at in random draw states is draws. What's the area that has the best chance of me drawing? And by factoring that in, okay, now I know that I'm a lot closer to obtaining a tag if that's my primary goal. Another thing to look at for the no points is leftover tags. These are tags that maybe a hunt was undersubscribed. There was a draw and, you know, a hundred tags are issued. Let's just reason this as an example because there's a hundred tags that probably isn't the case, but hundred tags were issued, 98 people applied. Well, there's two tags left over and a lot of leftover tags actually go into a over-the-counter system or maybe a second draw. So that's something to think about. What also happens in, in a lot of states is there's a resident pool and a non-resident pool. Maybe the residents have a lot of good opportunity with over-the-counter units or general units. They've got you know, really good areas and then they've got, you know, areas that might take their points and that aren't as good. And so they go undersubscribed and then those tags become available to maybe everyone. Non-residents might be included in that. So the tags that are left over now either go into a second draw or a first come, first serve, pick it up in our office type deal. And those can be really good options. So when we talk about later understanding each state system, knowing what states have these options and you go, okay, I got no points. These are going to be the things that we highlight in this roadmap. So we've got our goals. We're like, uh, if we're writing this down, top of the page, I just want an elk tag. Now we're going to go, we're going to look at all the states that fit. And where do I stand? Well, I've got no points. Okay. We write that down and then we go, okay, with no points, what am I looking for? Form of OTC tags, leftover tags, filtering for the best draws, states with random draws, states that have leftover tags. What are the units that might have those leftover tags? 
Now, another thing of leftover tags is returned tags. These are tags where a state might allow, let's say it's got a draw and they allow returns for maybe any reason. So it could be a guy that says like, hey, I picked up an OTC tag and then I drew a great tag in my home state or I drew a tag in the same state and I'm exchanging my general area tag for this other tag. Well, now this tag becomes a leftover tag and states divvy those up in different ways or these return tags become a, a lot of states are like, well, instead of it going nowhere, we should reissue it to someone. So how do we reissue it? Some of them are first come first serve. Some of them are, you know, popped up on a website and you just got to be there first. Other ones are, you know, on a certain date, we put them over the counter. So you can either buy it in our store or get it online and you're assigned a random number and that's how you get it. Or some of them have a waiting list and you go on, they randomly draw the list and then as tags come back, they start issuing them to that list. These are things that you want to be on if you don't have any points. These are also things you want to be on if you're like, hey, I want to go on a hunt this year and I don't want to burn a bunch of points. This is maybe some states, if you get a tag, it, it, it burns your points, but this might be a way to obtain a tag and hunt every year. Now, another thing for the no points is things that I'm going to call line skippers. So line skippers, point multipliers, odd increasers. And everyone's like, ooh, on the edge of their seat. Line skipper, I like that. You know, this is the Disneyland Fast Pass. There is a lot of options in, in different states. So an outfitter options one where some places, Idaho, New Mexico, Montana even, Nevada, like most states have some form of, if you're applying through a licensed outfitter, they have their own little pool. And it's not that many tags and it may not increase your odds that much, but it might be a better option for you if you have mid-range points and you go, oh, if I apply with an outfitter in this particular state, the odds are better because there's fewer people. Now, obviously there's a cost associated with that, but in some places I've found, you know, New Mexico is one of them where you look at the draw odds, not with an outfitter and you're like, what, wherever you stand on this, you're like, ah, that's stupid. Outfitters shouldn't get tags or whatever. It doesn't matter, right? You're, you're looking at the odds and you go, I found places where it's like in New Mexico where I go, hmm, I could apply every year and buy the license and the odds of me drawing it on my own are near impossible. And I do this for six years and or 10 years and spend $600 or I could like apply for an outfitter and it's actually marginally, like odds are dramatically increased and the cost is not that much higher in the grand scheme of things, like from what you're going to pay for all the other stuff. Now, that's not always the case. Sometimes the, the cost is way higher, right? But you go, okay, well, the time and the value of maybe that information that they know, these are just options, right? I'm, I'm setting out all your options. And this is a good one for people that are like, hey, I've never hunted it before. I want, I want to get on a hunt and the odds are just better of drawing. That That is a potential, right? You know, people will be like, Remy is an outfitter. Of course he suggests this. It's It's an option and it's not a bad option. Another option, and they just like the price kind of continually goes up landowner tags. That's kind of a line skipper where you could buy a tag off of somebody that's being compensated. Whether you like them or not, they exist. And I think it's worth mentioning. I think the price of landowner tags in the past, like this is one thing that I wish I would have known sooner. I don't think I really looked into it in the past. And I think that, you know, the price of these since COVID is just blown up. You know, I think about Back in the day, there was probably a lot of landowner tags that got swooped up for next to nothing. And I think that those days are gone. But there are options out there in certain areas that, you know, maybe don't have 
real high demand. The tags aren't worth as much and they're available. And the other thing is there are a lot of landowner tags for like cow elk and doe antelope that are pretty cheap and available, whereas like maybe you wouldn't even draw that tag. So that's an option too. And then there's just set aside tags for outfitters and like places like Idaho where they go, hey, we got X amount of tags in this area and people that book with them can get those tags. And then when those tags are not sold, which often happens like in Idaho, then those go back to the return tag category and those can be swooped up by someone else. So those are those are options for the no point as well. And then the last one in the no point category that I think of is combining as an application and a party. And that's one that I use a lot. And, and I'm not always the guy, this year I happen to be the guy not helping out as much, but a lot of years I'm the guy with the most points and saying, hey, come join my party for a few reasons. So the first one is, you know, as you apply, sometimes you, you can look at it in a couple ways. So you got to know each state system. Some states, like I said, you apply as a party. Generally, every party application, you go in as one applicant, no matter how many people. So if there's five people in your application and you all have one point, you all go in as five applicants one time. So you're in one time with one point. That's how that party works. And if that party's drawn, all five people are issued tags as long as there are five tags available. If there's two people the points are split. Now, like I said, preference and bonus points. Each state's different on those uh, bonus point states. Oftentimes they're averaged. On preference point states, sometimes they are just the exact number. So here's the game you can play, right? You you and a buddy are both applying for a certain out-of-state hunt. He's got three points. You have two points. And you're like, hey, you know, if we go there together... Sometimes it's nice to travel and split costs. Like it saves money. You've got somebody to hunt with, you know, it's like automatic help, right? Because if you're on a seven day hunt, sometimes it detracts from your ability. But if you're both out there, you're both hunting alone and then you go come together and help pack out. And when somebody fills a tag, now you've got an extra glass or sometimes it's just easier to to mobilize and have somebody to go with. It's, it's helps in a lot of ways. And you guys go, hey, we're applying together. I've got two points. You've got three points. We average under three points, but over two and a half points. If one guy has three points, the other guy has two points. You go in with five points. It's split into two and a half points, and that's rounded up to three points. So now everybody has three points. The person with two points benefits. And it necessarily, depending on how many tags there are, doesn't hurt the person with more points. Same thing with like, I could have 10 points. You could have five points. Well, maybe the person with higher points goes in lower, but the person with lower points goes in substantially higher. And yet you also have somebody to hunt with and maybe could even guarantee a tag in a certain area. That's good incentive. I've a lot of times been the guy with more points and I've been the person getting helped out, right? But it is a good way if you don't have points to say, hey, let's let's team up. Maybe you know somebody that's got three points. You guys go in with one and a half points, and then that rounds up to two points. They aren't out that much, and the person with no points is substantially better off. And your draws as a party, I would say like the benefit kind of outweighs the cost in some ways. But that depends on each state and where you're at and and knowing somebody with some points. But I think for the most part, if someone's like, I do this all the time, like, hey, you want to go to Wyoming this year? Now, they're, what state is it? Colorado. I think it, you're going with the lowest number of points possible. So that one is a bummer for that. So the guy with the lowest number of points, everybody gets that, which 
I don't know. I think I would have cashed in my points a long time ago if we, if we could have combined and just said like, hey, everyone go in. I would use my, now I've got a lot of points there uh, for certain species, but I probably would have cashed them in a lot sooner if I could help friends out and know that, hey, we're all, we all get a hunt together. That's going to be a lot of fun. So, you know, you got you to know the game, know the system, know the states. Now we're going to talk about that moderate point level. So this is in that you've been flying for a little bit of time. You haven't invested over a decade, but you've got some points. In this moderate point level, I think of a cash-in philosophy, to be honest. I think that there's a lot of states where there's decent hunts in that two to five point range. Now, point creep, something I've talked about on this podcast in the past, it's where as the years go on, those two to five, five point areas become eight to 10 and 10 to 12 and then just undrawable. You're always chasing that one ahead. So when I think about the moderate point level, what I like to do is I'll use go hunt filtering and I'll filter for draw potential over quality. Okay. So what I'm thinking of is like, where can I 100% guarantee I'm going to have a tag with my point level? I've got three points. I'm not going to chase the higher quality area that takes four points, hoping that next year it, you know, like it just never works out that way. I'm going to play, find the places like if I've got three points, whereas a hundred percent draw with two points, that's where I'm going to apply with my amount of points. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of undershoot, but guarantee because then I can plan it out. And I'm in that. So I'm, when I do filtering on Gohan, what I do is I, on those moderate point choices, I'm looking for where can I draw? And then I'm going to stack it up on quality or maybe type of hunt that I'm looking for. If I go, oh, this is, you know, sometimes trophy quality is a good thing to look at. In my case, sometimes I'd rather just look at hunter numbers and size of unit. So I might just compare those things where, where I go, ah, I'd rather have a tag that I can guarantee. And I'm not so concerned about quality, but I don't want to be running into as many hunters or hey, this area fits both those bills. That's great. Or maybe I go, yeah, where's an area that has lower hunter success but like good wilderness area or the opposite like it just depends on the type of hunt you're looking for but i kind of filter in the moderate point range i'm really concerned about where can i draw let's cash in i don't want to be playing this point creep game i just want to get on a decent hunt and go hunting and that's my personal philosophy with that and then the other option is that point up the party apply you can kind of share the wealth preference point last year I did that with my wife whereas like she was unlucky I was lucky the year before she didn't she had enough points to kind of guarantee a tag but we could share those points and both pretty much not 100% but dang near odds were in our favor of drawing a tag as a party and we shared the wealth and that's a another good opportunity for moderate point levels where you go hey I got a moderate point level let's share it and go on a hunt together with somebody that maybe doesn't have points or maybe you got both have the same amount of points. Let's party up and, and apply. Maybe it benefits you in some way. Maybe it doesn't, but it's a good, just like that cash in philosophy. And then the other thing is with the moderate point level, I would say this could be with the, I, I actually think this goes in both categories. It goes in the moderate point level and also goes in the no point level. You don't want to dismiss random draws in a preference draw. So what I mean is there are certain states and units where it's a preference point. They assign the top tags, the top point holders, the tags, okay? And now 
Arizona is a prime example of the con- can get very confusing, right? Because some all go to those and there's no random draw, but then certain years there are random draws. So what we're looking for is there's, a, there's actually quite a few states that do this where there's preference points, but then there's certain tags that are allocated in a random draw. Now, what you're going to look for in here is those units that aren't the most desirable unit, but aren't not desirable units, if that makes sense. So you're, you're looking for like the best unit in the state, probably not going to work for this as well, but there are other areas where you go, okay, it's a good hunt and I don't have enough preference point to draw, but what I'm shooting for is the random draw. And I'll look at those draws and those random draws, say, what's the random draw odd for this particular hunt? I think one of the reasons that I haven't pulled the Utah tag is because I have a lot of points, but the area I'm applying for has one non-resident tag. And because it has one non-resident tag, it doesn't go into a preference draw. So with my preference points, I could be guaranteed a tag in a lot of units for archery. But the area I'm applying for essentially boils down to a random draw. And unfortunately, guys that I know that are way less points have pulled the tag before me because we're all going into a random draw. And that's something to look for. Where are these places that are really good that it's a preference point state, but the preference points don't apply or there is a random draw in there? What are the odds in this random draw? And that is almost the same as applying in a state that does not utilize points it's all random draw and that's something to think about with both no points and that moderate level of points because sometimes you can go look i i've got maybe not enough points to cash in but maybe i do it just depends on the year and i'm going to use those points and try for this not not thinking i can guarantee it but knowing that i can go into that random draw and i've got good random draw odds or hey i'm just going to go in for that random draw now another philosophy that i've used a lot in that moderate point level is thinking like this of like there are preference point states uh, california being one of them that comes to mind where if you draw your second choice wyoming was like is like this as well or if you draw your second choice you actually don't use your preference points so what i would do for a long time is i'd say like okay i'm built i'm gonna build points in this state i don't have enough to guarantee the best tag i have enough to guarantee a tag somewhere but i really like just want to build points but i want to go on a hunt so what i would do is i'd find areas where oh there's odds of drawing it as a second tag maybe it's 100 percent as a second choice maybe it's 10 percent, but i'm essentially using my first choice as preference point only or an area that is like shooting for the moon i'll never draw and then i go into that second choice in a particular state and i think this could get confusing for hunters they're like i don't know what state you're talking about i'm trying to mention it as, as i go along but and you'll pull that second choice draw and you still get to maintain that moderate level to build to those higher points. So like, let's use Wyoming as an example. It's changed a lot over the years, but yeah, Wyoming's a good example. There's an area for pronghorn that I, I was like, I want to go pronghorn hunting. And I found an area that was primarily private land and there's tags in that second draw. And, and I found a place that I could hunt there. So I'm like, cool, but I don't want to burn my 12 antelope points hunting that so i apply for an area that took 15 points so it's like dude if i got in on some i don't think they would even be possible to draw and then i went in on the second draw for the pronghorn and it was like 30 percent chance of drawing on the second draw and i drew it on the second draw so i kept my points i gained another point to build up that higher level of points yet i was hunting that year for pronghorn 
shot a, a buck that I probably would have taken on using my points, but I'm kind of saving those points to do a, a party hunt with friends and, and family. And just, it's got to line up with everyone and having those extra points is nice. Cause we can share the wealth in a way and, and hopefully draw like a moderate unit with those points. So that's my strategy for that. And by drawing that second choice, I didn't burn any points and I still got to go hunting. And that's a way too, if you don't have any points thinking about, oh, maybe here's a second choice draw where I don't have any points, but I want to build points in this particular state and I still want to go hunting. Boom, there you go. Second choice, depending on the state, California and Wyoming are one that come to mind that you can do that in. Now we're going to go to that lots of points category. When I do this, I go on filtering on Go Hunt and I think quality first and then I compare the point level. If I have a lot of points, I go, where's the best freaking place for what I want? I want a 350 plus bull. That's going to be my primary setting. Go, oh, here's the places that take that. And then I go, okay, now what in my point level and or am I close? You know, maybe I won't catch up with that point creep or maybe I will. And I go, how many points do I have? And I compare that to the units around, the potential. And then I do a lot of research on where are some animals coming out of now? What are some of these areas that are going to be trending? Unfortunately, I think for me, I, I do baby a lot of points. Like they're my children. I've, they're, I've, I've bought them their first drink. You know what I mean? They're 21 years old now. I, I remember their first car. No, that's a joke. But I've had them for a long time. And when you cash them in, you're like, damn it, I want it to be good. And sometimes it's not. Like a buddy of mine cashed in his points this year and it was like, he had a hunt that he could have had in a general unit 10 times over. And he's like, thank God I got rid of those points because now I can just go hunting every year and I don't have to worry about these points that I'm all concerned about that I've built up. Sometimes we just put so much emphasis on points. But the bonus of having a lot of points or building to a lot of points is, hey, you can, you can hunt for those areas that you might have an opportunity that you don't have other places or more opportunity for something that you don't have other places. And that's something to think about for down the road. I, at this point, you know, you're like, oh, you've got a lot of points in a lot of places. I'm like, yeah, but some of the places in my strategy, I'm like, I'm going to save some points for down the road for one of two things. I want to build a lot of points for, I've got two ideas that I might want to do. Is like, hey, when I'm young and fit and there's ability to go on over-the-counter hunts or maybe pick up these other hunts in different ways, I'm going to do that as much as possible and hunt my ass off. And then when I'm like, old and retired, I'm going to go cash in on some quality hunts where it's like, dude, I've got more time for this one tag and I can just commit to that whole season in that particular uh, hunt area and just do it the most just as possible. That's one option. Or another option for me is like maybe one year I just decide got to cash in, pick a state and cash in and, and have a real quality hunt. And then the third option for me is I really think about if my kids want to hunt and what tags are like in the future. Maybe I have 30 tags and I go, I might have 30 points and uh, apply with my daughter that has no points. And we go in with 15 points and, and we can get a tag somewhere and, and then she can have the opportunity to go hunting. So in some ways it's like a thing that I could use for my children as well. But I think if you have a lot of points, you know, you've probably played the game for a while and there's a lot of people who have played the game for a while. Like, dude, it's still, like, what do I do? How do I spend them? Uh, you got that hold and spend mentality. So what do I, when do I hold? When do I spend? And, you know, it's like your points are your bank account. 
really. You're like, I've put in a lot of time, a lot of money. And I started thinking back on it. I'm like, damn, dude. <laughs> If I would have just saved that money, I probably could have bought a quality hunt somewhere, a landowner tag, if I never played the point game right and probably gone on more quality hunts than I am now, but maybe not. So you really have this hold and spend mentality. And the one thing that I think about with a lot of points is when you want to hunt, you can cash in. And I think that it's good to use those points to buy into a hunt. And sometimes you you buy down, but you're guaranteeing. So you go like, I've got 15 points Here's an area that takes 10 points. Don't think of those other five points as wasted because there's nowhere that you can, is better for 15. It's like the next level's 18. So I'm just going to buy down and I'm going to guarantee myself a hunt. I'm going to get out in the field and shoot a good bull. The biggest bull I've ever killed was not on a trophy unit. And that's just how it is. Like it's an area that was easier to draw and I was not chasing a giant bull and I shot a nearly 390 bull. So... Like that's the biggest bull I've ever killed with a bow and it was not in a trophy area. And I could probably tomorrow, if I drew an area that took me 26 points, I don't know if I would kill a bull like that. Like there's no guarantees. Like I might not even come close and that's known. So, you know, being out in the field, you have that opportunity. And so, you know, there's opportunities if you have a lot of points, but maybe not enough to cash in on some of these other opportunities where, You've got a, a unit that you can hunt. Maybe you got a, you're thinking about a rifle hunt, but hey, I could go archery and, and cash them in sooner. Or you go, yeah, there's a trophy unit here and it's got a late season archery hunt. No, well, that's not ideal, but you're in an area that holds the potential for big bulls. So now we're going to use those points. Same with the moderate point level. We can then look for units to go, hey, where's an area that's actually a pretty good hunt? And it, maybe I could get into it a different, like a odd season for fewer points. That's a really good strategy to kind of play the game and, and cash in a moderate level of points. Or if you have a lot of points, kind of buy down a little bit, but get on a hunt sooner. And then the other strategy, I think with a lot of points is you play that no point strategy and you just keep holding those points. So we could talk about hold or spend. It's like, Hey, there's one state where I've got a lot of points. I'm just going to keep building until I get the best hunt possible. And then I'm not going to put too much emphasis on the hunt of being like, it's going to be the best hunt I've ever had, but it's, Hey, it's statistically better opportunity, fewer hunters, better trophy quality. If everything lines up, I could have a really good hunt. I'm just going to keep saving. And then while I'm saving, I'm going to play that no point strategy game and hold out in certain places for the big dog, for the big tag, for the jackpot prize. Uh, because at some point, you know, I I'll cash, I'll be able to cash in for that. And there's not a lot of people that are in that situation, but I've got a lot of friends that when we started out, I was like, hey, you guys got to start applying. And they're like, dude, I don't, I don't know, man. I've got no points. Like there's no no point in drawing. There's no point in applying. Like I'll never get these tags. And then they started doing it. And a lot of them have drawn some premium tags in premium places because the years add up kind of fast. Like you kind of forget about it. And so you pick a state where you, you're going to build points. You pick a state where you can just go hunting and you pick a place where hey, every few years I can cash in. And that's our strategy. We've got it out on paper. We start to plan it out. And we see like, okay, here's what I can do now. Here's how I'm going to try to obtain a tag this year. Here's what I'm going to try to do for a couple years down the line. I'm not saying like I'm picking the unit and this is where I'm going to hunt next year. But I'm saying like, okay, in five years, I'll have a moderate point level. And I'm going to look at some of these things of filtering for draw over quality. I'm going to maybe point up and, and share as a party. I'm not going to forget about those random draws and those preference places. And I'm going to cash in, you know, 
kind of like buy down where it might only take three points, but I have five, but I can guarantee that hunt. And then the same thing is like, okay, in this state where I've got lots of points, here's my roadmap. I can do that same thing. I can buy down and still have a good hunt. I can really maybe hold and spend on a high quality hunt or as another option, once you get those last points, hey, I can buy around. And it's like, what I mean by that is you can apply with a buddy that doesn't have as many points and get some people in on it. I, I've got just out of circumstances, I always applied in California and I, I've drawn a, a limited entry meal deer tag there. And I looked at my points now and I'm like, you know, I've racked up some serious points there for deer because it's the last application of the year. And I always have another, I always have a tag that I've got some other way. So it's been on the back burner, but I could go to my brother who hasn't been applying there and maybe my brother and my dad and say, Hey, let's, let's cash in. Let's use these points on a place that's the guaranteed five point draw archery tag. And all three of us could have a tag. Like I'm this rounds on me. Let's all go hunting together. Awesome way to utilize the points and like would be a really fun hunt. So there's a lot of things that you can think about when you, when you get into that category and you can, have hunts along the way as you're building up to those building points in other states. Now, it does get expensive. It's getting more and more expensive as time goes on. So you really have to focus on like, what do you want? Build this roadmap. What's my budget in this? And the thing that I've suggested in the past is like, maybe picking one preference point state, one random draw state, and then one bonus point state and building there. So it's like the random draw state, I'm on a level playing field, the preference point state, I'm going to try to have, I'm going to build a moderate point level and then maybe, you know, shoot for some random draws as well in there or maybe try for that second choice of like, I just need to pull a tag, but I'm going to build a couple points in a place and then guarantee, okay, I have a little higher quality hunt down the road in not a long time. And then I'm going to have a, a bonus point state where hey, I could get lucky at any point in time, but I'm really going to just build those points up and, and maybe shoot for the moon in, in one of those um, states. Like, hey, I'll, I'll just, this will be the one that I'm going long-term with. And oftentimes I'll factor that in of like, what's the cheapest level for entry? Where do I not have to buy a tag? You know, over the years, I've kind of started to acquire other states, but my point levels vary from a lot to moderate because there's certain states was like too expensive to apply in for a while, or I just didn't know enough about it, or the season dates were always a weird time. So I just kind of put it on the back burner and, a lot of places I have a lot of points and other places I, I don't. And other places I've drawn and starting a new strategy. So every time it's c continually evolving. But I think by thinking at it like that, you get a really good perspective and plan built out. And there's a lot to understand. because So next week, we're going to cover the states. They're all different. And we're going to talk about reading up on the draw system. And then there's things that we're going to note. So like tag options, tag allocation process, point structure, deadlines, the draw sequence, the return tag process. And then we're going to look at those holes in the system, like build and draw the second point, random draw preference. We're going to, we're going to really dive into all that. So I think that that'll be a really good resource as well. These are very, I don't know, like wide, broad topics, but I hope that understanding some of this philosophy helps narrow it down. And you're like, it's a game you got to play. You got to think about it ahead of time. And then you got to find those little holes in it that match where you're at and what your goals are. I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. I, you know, it can get a little deep. These tag application ones always run longer than some of the other podcasts, but I think it's really good information. Whether you've been playing the game your whole life or just getting started, 
it's really important to understand the draw process for Western big game hunting. And honestly, like the system is spreading. Like it used to just be Western big game. Now it's like Midwest. I I've now started applying in Iowa and Kansas and other places because I'm like, dude, if I ever want to go on a white tail hunt or quality hunt for whatever, uh, the Dakotas, like it's not like it used to be. You can't just go pick up a tag. So I start to think, okay, what do I want to do in the future? And then build out that that plan for all those places. It's a good system to know and it's good to kind of think about because it's probably coming to you or if you want to, you know, potential to hunt out of state. It's just the game that we all have to play. And there are so many good resources out there. You know, I, I use Go Hunt a lot. I think it's awesome that now the app has a lot of this filtering stuff and draws and just like being able to research the hunt on the app because I think, you know, I would always log in and I just think it's very convenient to have it on my home screen and just pop in there and and really start to dive into some of this stuff. One of the things that I, I forgot to mention, I kind of forgot about, but it was, I don't know. I, it was selective thinking. I forgot to mention last week I talked about the New Year's hunt. Okay, there's something that happened that I, I didn't even... Uh, I didn't mention, I don't know. I just kind of spaced my mind, but it was one of the things, you know, as a, a really awesome supporter of this podcast is Vortex Optics. And I think the best thing about Vortex Optics, I mean, they've got great glass. Like it's a really good price. There's a lot of things that I love about Vortex. I think that they make, in my opinion, the best hunting rifle scope out there, the LHT. Like it's just built for the type of hunting that I like. And probably because I, I begged them for a scope like that for so long, like they made it. And it's like, yeah, this is exactly what we needed. But I think the best thing about them is their VIP warranty. I got out of the vehicle to glass a spot and I spotted, I was using my 18 power razors and I was glassing with those and I picked up a deer. So I grabbed, this is so dumb. Like I just, I don't do this kind of stuff, but I did. This is the second time this happened. My, no, the yeah, first time this happened, but I grabbed the spotting scope out of the back seat. Cause I was just like, it was actually, to be honest, I was going to take a leak and then just to look at this mountain. Well, so I got, I had my binoculars on the tripod. I grabbed my spotting scope to look at this deer. It ended up being a small buck. Well, I put the 18s on the hood of the truck sure you can see where this is going and i get down the road a little bit and i'm like i'm gonna look at something else and it just dawned on me i was like did i throw because it was kind of a cluster when i got in I like had i don't know it just wasn't paying attention and i'm a little ways down the road not that far i'm glad i thought about it and i was like oh shit i think i left the binos on the truck but they weren't there it's like maybe i put them in so i look through the vehicle no binoculars i'm like damn it tell my wife, I'm like, this sucks. Like, I hope they're okay. And like, I was just, I, these were very, very important on this hunt. And I don't know, I just felt like I was, this is, this, that was my glassing tool. Like that was my magic sauce. And I turn around and in the middle of the road is my Razor HDs. And I drove over them, completely crushed them. Like absolutely crushed. And so... I was like, I've used the warranty multiple times, not to this extent. And I just literally like went through regular customer service. I know I work with them, but I, I was just like, I just go through regular customer service because it's that freaking good. Like they are just like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, send them to us. 
we'll get them fixed up, whatever, no charge. Like awesome. You like you, you send in your thing, like you, a person who checked it in and everything sends it back. And I'm like, this is insane customer service. And the fact that like, it was my fault. I drove over the binoculars and they will repair it or in this case, replace them for free. Like, dude, that's a kind of warranty that if you buy into that, like it just a lifetime, no matter what happens, no matter what you do to it, no charge to you, fix them up. Because I've had other optics in the past that was like something went wrong with it and it was a pain in the ass to get fixed. Like it took an act of Congress to get them fixed and it costs money and it was just like such a pain in the ass. And this is so easy. <laughs> like, dude, that's why I rep it because it's like, that is an incredible value to a hunter because stuff happens. So a little shout out to Vortex for that this week because yeah, that was, that's pretty incredible. You know, you, you invest a lot in optics and if something happens, you want, you want to know that, hey, cool, they got it covered. Like, even if it's my own fault, that's pretty crazy. So that concludes our Live Wild podcast. Next week, we're going to jump back into this hunt planning thought. We're going to look at some of the states and just kind of touch on a little bit of the, the things that you can do in each state. And I think that I'll be, that'll be kind of beneficial to wrap this whole thing up because it'll give you a picture of like, all right, here's the game I'm playing. Here's where I'm at. Here's the strategy. Now, where's places that I can implement this? And, and really kind of diving into state by state, the process and some of the things to think about. I know we did some of this in the past, but every year is a little bit different. So it's good to just refresh, look at some of this stuff and and find some of those little little holes for each state where it's like, ooh, here's how I can advantage the system. I see these like, you know, growing up in a gambling state, there's like advantage players. And you can absolutely be an advantage player when it comes to tag applications. There's certain people that always are on a hunt and they do pretty well because they really understand the system and how they can kind of find that advantage. And so we're going to talk about that next week. But until next week, I'm just going to say it's application season. Enjoy it.